as you start scaling customer support, you actually need more consistency and more standardization in how you respond to customers, how you interact with them, especially if we're talking about fintech or regulated industries where working within the boundaries of what you're allowed to do is critical. You're listening to Seedcamp First, the definitive guide to help early stage founders get their companies off the ground, brought to you exclusively through the wisdom and lessons learned from some of the brightest minds across the Seedcamp nation. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Seedcamp Firsts. I am incredibly excited to be joined by the wonderful Rona Ruthen. She is one of our fantastic mentors at Seedcamp, and she has an incredibly illustrious career. She was VP of Customer Operations at Monzo and also the head of operations at Curve, a Seedcamp portfolio company. Currently, she's an operator and angel investor. She is really the most fantastic person at taking companies from zero to scaling. The scaling part is where I feel she's an extra, extra expert. Today, we're going to be speaking about setting up customer support and operations in early stage startups. Rona, hi, welcome to Seedcamp Firsts. Would love to hear from you a little bit more about your background and what brought you into the wonderful, crazy world of European tech. <laughs> so first of all, thank you for having me. It is exciting being here together. Well, what brought me into the world of tech? I'm originally from Israel and I started my career as a risk management consultant. I was doing projects for banks, insurance companies, card companies. And a few years in, I realized that I actually really enjoy the financial services aspect of it, geeky as it is, but also that more exciting things were happening on the tech side of financial services, which sounds super obvious now, but at the time we didn't even call it fintech. And so I then made a move to Pioneer, which is a global payments company. I think that was the time where I understood that my sweet spot is a mix of operations, risk, people, processes, and payments at the time. From there, I moved to Fiverr, which is an online marketplace for freelance services, then moved to the UK and I joined Curve as head of operations, which was a wonderful mix of payments, cards, customer support, FinCrime, all the beauty and, well, good, bad and ugly of FinTech. And then moved to Monzo, where I spent four years through the hyper growth stages, which was exactly the rocket ship journey that I wanted it to be. Scaling from less than a million customers when I joined to over six million by the time I left, from 400 people to 2,300 people and all the way to the valuation that Monzo has today of 4.5 billion, which is incredible. It was very exciting, very challenging and exactly the experience I wanted it to be. It's really interesting to consider the impact that you have at different stages from the very early stage of just like how do you get it off the ground and how do you support the very early customers when the product is still figuring out what it is and all the way to the point where you've got millions of customers and your impact is across so many people and so many employees internally. Yeah. So that's me. Yeah. Wow. It's the sort of career I think people could only dream of in many instances, especially an amazing ability to pick well, for sure. But the reality of what operations and the customer operations would have looked like from when you joined to what it would have had to grown into to support that hyper growth must have been really significant 
and impactful as well. And I think what we're going to do, Rona, because you have such an amazing amount of experience across all of these stages, we're going to split this up. So everybody, you're getting the joy of a two-parter here from Rona. So part one, we're going to focus on really those early stages and how we think about setting up customer support in operations in early stage startups. So when you think about taking yourself back, and I know you've been building and working with lots of early stage companies most recently as well, why are seamless customer operations a prerequisite for the success of early stage companies? I get asked this quite a lot, and I think it's actually quite important to acknowledge that the answer isn't necessarily, it is critical at the early stage. I think it's a strategic decision that every company needs to make and actually something to revisit at different points in time, because you can start a company and not optimize for customer operations or customer support or customer experience, but sometimes whether it's based on your own values, whether it's the type of product that you're launching it is critical for the success of the company, sometimes you can actually do without and you can sort of scrape through it for a while until it's the right time to create an exceptional experience. So I would say that the first stage is actually deciding if it's critical for you and not just letting it sort of hang around what you're doing and make a conscious decision. But then we also live in a world where we know that customer experience is quite critical for every product that we use that we care about, whether it's Spotify, which we probably never contact customer support, or if it's Amazon and you want to know where your package is because you didn't arrive on time. So the full customer experience is critical for most products these days. And there are multiple ways of doing it, especially when you're a small startup. It could be fully manual. No one has to know. And sometimes it's even better because you can be very personalized about it when you only have a small number of customers. And sometimes it's just easy to build the thing and automate it from day one. So it really is about understanding is this a USB for your company at this point? Is it easier to do it manually or not? And actually what you want the experience to be. On that point of manual versus automation, because that's one of the most critical things that we see and the shifts that happen from the early stage to as you start to get more customers in and through the funnel. At what point do you suggest companies start to wean themselves off the manual? Because the tension can often come because the customers, when you speak to the customers and they're doing that customer discovery work, the customers say, oh, but I love that I can just speak to X and they're responsive, but that doesn't scale. So how do you find that right inflection point and balance from when to switch from manual to automated? Yeah, so there are two elements to this, and I have my own guiding principles for how I think about it. In terms of elements, there's uh, what you need, what works better for you as a company, and whether you're optimizing for efficiency, and what's the right thing to do from a customer experience perspective. And again, those change over time. The way I think about them, my guiding principles are around first, is the process structured and mature enough? Because again, if you're building a new product or a new feature, sometimes you just don't know exactly what it looks like or how it works or what it would look like six months from now because you're still in that discovery phase. So that's the first question. The second thing is, what is the current scale of the process or the manual work? And, and what would it be in six or 12 months? If it's one or two people, then maybe it's not even worth considering automating it. And then ultimately, is the customer experience negatively impacted by the fact that it's manual? Sometimes it's not, sometimes it is. These are the simple states where if it's only one person doing the work, growing to three people, it's a great customer experience for now, and it's not a fully mature process, keep it manual, don't even worry about it. But if you've already got 10 people doing it, it's going to grow to 20 people doing it. The customer experience could be negatively impacted by backlogs and longer wait times. And actually, it's a process that you know quite well at this point, then you should be at least thinking about automating it, if not further ahead in the journey. 
but it's also a game of trade-offs, right? It's not usually one process against the other. You have 10 of them or 20 or sometimes 100. And the trade-offs are not just between internal processes. It's also against other product priorities and other resources across the company. So I would say prioritize within customer support, customer operations, customer experience. But then you also need to figure out how to prioritize against what else is happening across the company. So you've mentioned that not every business needs to start with customer operations being the core focus at the beginning. It depends on the type of business and then it will vary on whether it's manual and automated, a build or, or buy. I'm sure that comes with that as well. But if you think about the companies where, you know, focusing on that early is essential, what does exceptional customer experience look like? I mean, you have been at organizations where, where really it is some of the best, like world-class. How did you go about defining that? And what could other founders take away and when they want to first start thinking about setting up customer service and operations in their businesses too? That's a really great question. I guess like most things, you start with the customer. It's what do they need? What do they want? What would make the feature or product work better for them? I think there's a layer of experimentation. You never know until you try, whether it's the SLAs for customer support. Uh, intuitively, we all want quicker, better now, but actually, do you need that for all things? Probably not. And so that's where you can sometimes push the boundaries and just figure out what is a great experience. So I think exceptional customer service or customer experience in an early stage startup should probably provide the customer with a feeling that whatever they need is either embedded in the product itself or is easily accessible to them. And that could be, I mean, my ideal would be that every feature has intuitive and embedded contextual support or information within the feature itself. Then there's a layer of easy self-service and then the right channels to contact support. Again, that is harder to build based on the product. And initially in a small company that could just be two, three channels that are very easy for customers to access with short SLAs and just providing the experience that it's easy to use the product. Because that's the bottom line. The bottom line isn't support. The bottom line is customers are trying out your products. They want to engage with it as much as they need or as much as possible. You want them to engage with it. And so you want to make that whole experience easy end to end. And support just needs to be a part of that, not something that you do on the side. If they're contacting support, probably something didn't work in the product and you actually want to close the loop and make sure that the whole experience is great. So that's the way to think about it. One of the things I always loved the most about Monzo was everything about the customer and caring about the customer's role in the product and in the company as it grew and actually using the customer to help shape and define certain new products or features that were going to be built. And I think that you guys did such an exceptional job at that, that it then felt very real that the customer experience was cared about in all these different parts of the business. But how did you think about that for different stages? I know you weren't there right at the beginning, but how can companies be thinking about what they should have in place for what you need for customer operations, be it in the alpha, the build stage to launch, and then as you scale and grow much larger? Yeah, I think it starts by actually caring about the customer, which sounds basic and every company would say that they do, but it really makes a difference. And especially when it comes from the top and it's embedded in every layer and every role across the company. Sounds obvious. But I would make sure that that's very clear within your values, within your culture, within your org structure, everything that you need to make it really, really clear that the customer does come first. At Monzo, we used to say that the sort of order of priorities is always customer, Monzo, team, individual. And so whenever we were evaluating a decision or figuring out how to build a feature or a process, it was always 
is this the right thing for the customer first? And then it's about Monzo as a whole, and then it's about more individual teams and people. And so if you use that lens for most things, it's easy to make a decision that is right for your customer. Initially in customer operations, we hired very independent thinkers, very hungry to do the right thing by customers and by Monzo. And that just meant they went beyond the sort of call of duty in terms of doing the right thing for the company. And that was enabled by processes, by the right budget, by making sure that it is easy to go above and beyond for the customer. And then over time, you want to build that into the right processes and to be able to scale that experience. And then obviously, it's about actually talking to the customers and listening to the feedback, whether that's directly doing user research, surveys, whatever helps you get feedback from the customer, but also just reviewing what works from the data qualitative and quantitative that you get from what customers are actually using and what you're seeing. If they contact us on calls more than chats, then maybe that's an indication that we should be mindful of. Or if calls take way too long, then maybe we're not that good at solving things on the phone and we can direct them to a better channel for them. So it really is about understanding what they're telling us in multiple different ways and making sure that we do something about it. Totally. And what was the culture like in terms of bringing in people from other parts of the organization to actually see what's going on at the coalface, like with customers? Was there a good culture of that? How do you recommend startups think about making sure everybody is interfacing with what's actually going on? It's actually super tricky. I think initially in early stage startups, it feels really easy because everyone can jump on tickets and everyone can engage with customers. But quite quickly, A, everyone has a day job and so they're quite busy doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then pulling people in to engage with customers gets more complicated. Also, your processes get more complicated. Your features, you don't actually want everyone to jump on support unless they know what they're saying to customers, especially CEOs and founders. They can be very uh, disruptive. So keep an eye on them. And so over time, you actually want to create and enable other people in the company to engage with customers. So this is jumping a few years ahead, but but by the end of my time at Monza, we actually had sort of Friday sessions where we would jump on tickets, but we did that by shadowing one of our cops and making sure that whoever wanted to do the same had the ability to shadow someone and look at any process or sort of customer support tickets as they wanted to, but it was structured and it was sort of hand-holding rather than you can just jump on the system. So I would say you need to make sure it's easy. You need to make sure that it's accompanied by the right people who know what they're doing. And also, again, reinforcing the importance of it. It's easy to forget. Everyone gets caught up in the thing that they're going to be building from a product perspective or as an engineer, what you're doing today or this week or this month. So it, it does get difficult to just say, okay, I'm going to stop doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing and jump on tickets. So making that easy in multiple ways. Makes sense. I've definitely been there with the disruptive founder that's like, I just want to do this. And everyone thinks it's really fun. Look at the founder still speaking to the customers. And then there's the whole team building that process and structure being like, no, shush, you're like you're breaking things. Yeah. Exactly. I think I've probably been through three or four rounds of actually having to block access to some of those sort of more senior people in the company and just say, if you want to see things, we'll show you whatever you want or we'll help you answer tickets if that's what you want. But you can't just jump on without telling anyone. Oh, my God. I love that. You heard it here first, guys. Well, it's great to speak to your customers, but not when you start breaking everything that you've brought people who actually know about this stuff. So on that when you take a bit of a step back and think about how you started to really structure that ops team and in those earlier days like you mentioned originally like it was lots of very ambitious and independent people how did that evolve and what are the sort of people you need when you're actually building a CS and an ops team 
Yeah, I think it's important to just be very clear and mindful what you're optimizing for. And initially, early stage startup, you're usually optimizing for flexibility. You don't know exactly what you need. You don't know exactly what the process is. You don't know exactly what the customer experience is going to be. And so you need people who can just flow with that ambiguity and help you build it out as you go. And so you usually need people who are probably a bit more experienced than your standard customer support profile. You need them to be willing to take a bit of risk, to go a bit beyond the just, I'm going to respond to the question I'm being asked by the customer right now. You want them to be able to engage with different types of people and roles across the company, because more often than not, in the early days, if you want to solve a problem, you actually have to go to the engineer that built the thing because you don't know what the problem is. And so you need the people who can just work around these things quite flexibly. As you start scaling customers, support you actually need more consistency and more standardization in how you respond to customers how you interact with them especially if we're talking about fintech or regulated industries where working within the boundaries of what you're allowed to do is critical so that's probably the point where you start writing down some of the processes making sure it's documented making sure it's clear what to do and what not to do and at that point you probably need and want a slightly different profile of customer support or customer operations agent which is probably a bit more entry level willing to do quite repetitive work for a while but with a bit of flexibility you also need to be mindful this is positive but challenging when you're managing customer support a lot of people think of it as an entry job but really really quickly they want to move on to the next thing which i think is amazing and i was definitely that person when i started my career but you also need people to actually do the work for a while and so balancing that out is tricky but important when you're building out a team how do you balance that because i think that's a problem across businesses as a whole right the whole golden promise often of startups is that or come in as something but be able to grow how have you personally managed expectation while not wanting to push people down knowing there's also a job that needs to be done and that you're hiring somebody to do yeah I hope this doesn't sound bad I try to scare people off a little bit saying you're going to be doing this for at least a year there are going to be opportunities down the line but not anytime soon we expect you to just do this and I can't promise anything and some people will just be okay with it and some people won't because they are actually thinking about the next thing and that's okay I think it's great to have ambition across your entire journey and it varies a lot in terms of the opportunities that you can offer people very early days of Monzo and Curve basically everyone in customer support moved up to different roles, whether it was team lead or whether it was product management or other roles across the company, people ops, multiple different opportunities. But as you start scaling, you have more people coming in at the entry level and not everyone is going to be able to move up or move sideways at the same rate. And so setting expectations when people come in is critical. And then also making sure that you're quite transparent in terms of the roles that are open or what's required to move to other roles and how people are actually doing against their own development and progression. I think that's quite critical. Progression pathways are super, super helpful. We all want to know what we could do and how to get there. And it just helps structure conversations internally at any point in time. Obviously, tricky early stage startups, but as you start scaling, it's one of the things you should be building. Totally agree. And I think... It's best for everybody. It's not scary. Like actually setting those expectations and just being honest from the off puts everybody in a much better position. We have similar, to be honest, when hiring at seed camp and hiring into the operations side of things, I'm always very clear. This is not a shortcut to get to the investment team. This is a role and this is a job that needs to be done here. If you want to be an investor, we're not hiring you to put you onto the investment team. And we're just very transparent about that. And I do think transparency in those instances is best. Rona, any sort of mistakes or things you wish you'd perhaps done differently? Think about the early stages. 
so many what to choose from. I think if I was doing the very early stage again, I would probably have planned a few different scenarios aligned with the company growth scenarios and figured out what I would need at different points along those journey for, let's say, six to 12 months, and then try to optimize for something in the middle and for some level of flexibility, which sounds obvious, but I think more often than not, especially on the operations side, it's actually a lot more reactive than proactive. And so I would try to be more proactive in terms of the planning and understanding the potential scenarios that might happen and how I could ideally be one step ahead of most of them. And that's the other thing that I know now that maybe I didn't fully appreciate at the time, Hiring one extra person, or I call this sort of rounding up at the very early stages, it's definitely not going to be the downfall of your financial bottom line as a startup, but it can make all the difference in terms of providing a great customer experience and just having less burning fires and long, long nights and incidents. Understanding a few potential scenarios and rounding up in terms of the size of the team, that would be one of my reflections. Yeah, just embracing change. I mean, we all join startups thinking that we're going to love the fast pace, the ever-changing environment, not knowing what's going to happen day to day. But actually, most people like at least a good balance of some consistency and structure with some change and bringing people along that journey of actually no day is going to look like what you had in mind that morning or the beginning of the week and definitely not the beginning of the month. It's actually quite hard. And so how do you communicate around that? How do you create that transparency? How do you create some level of consistency that allows you to actually embrace the change in a good way? It takes a lot of effort, but that's critical. Bringing up change is a perfect seamless segue to bring this session on all things early stage customer operations to a close because in part two Rona will be joining us to go much deeper into everything around scaling where change is the only constant and we'll be delving in much more to how you can bring teams on the journey with you and whole companies and embrace change which becomes different challenges but no less change as you go on that scaling journey. Rona thank you so much for joining joining us for part one and look forward to having you back on part two with us at Seacamp First very soon. Thank you. Thank you so much.